the logs that are stolen can be resold and those can provide access. The uh, info stealer itself, once it does its, its sort of smash and grab operation and steals all of the data that it's targeting, it can then deploy additional malware, which somebody is, is probably paying them to do. Hi, I'm Mary Ann Bohr with Hims. Today we're sitting down with John Mancuso, security researcher at SecureWorks. Today we're talking about info stealers, a growing threat for all organizations, including healthcare. And before we start, I'd like to say thank you to SecureWorks for sponsoring this podcast. Well, John, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, could you please tell us a little bit about what you do, uh, what your background is, and what is a security researcher? Sure. Yeah. So my background is is a little bit all over the place. I've been in the in the information information security industry for about seventeen years, and I've I've held a number of different positions with a number of different different types of of companies and doing different types of work. So I got my start doing some offensive operations, doing pen pen testing and and auditing of systems. I moved over and began doing defensive work, doing doing detection and creating countermeasures. Now what I do with SecureWorks is primarily malware reverse engineering and malware analysis. So when we have when we observe new new malware strains at our client sites or if the our incident responders are working an active engagement, they will often interface with somebody like me when they have something that they suspect is malicious. And I will be the one who kind of breaks that down, figures out what kind of malware is, what its goals are, what it's talking to, if it's reaching out to other network resources. And hopefully the, the end goal is of course, to track these campaigns, track these malware families, track the adversaries who, who use and create them, and hopefully ideally bring them to, bring them to justice. Absolutely. So John, tell us what are info stealers? An info stealer is is kind of a broad umbrella term, and to be honest with you, it's a little bit muddy where the the blanket of an info stealer stops and another category of malware begins, like a backdoor or or something like that. In in general, an info stealer is going to be a piece of malware or malicious code that will target specific pieces of data on a on a system. Traditionally, that is going to be something like cryptocurrency data. So think wallets or uh, cryptocurrency data that's stored in the browser. But really, they they very heavily go after anything stored in in the browser. So that could be uh, cookies that are set, any kind of saved payment card information. So if you go to Amazon and, and check out if you've saved your credit card details in there, that will be targeted. Any kinds of usernames and passwords, really any anything that can be saved in a browser is is going to be what these these info stealers, these information stealers target. More recently, we've seen these these uh, this class of malware kind of expand and begin targeting things like password databases, either stored within the browser again or even offline. So if you have a for example, a KeyPass database on your on your system, it will try to find that and it will it will send that to to the operator, the threat actor. Different types of files are often targeted as well. So think office documents, uh, anything again related to cryptocurrency, any kind of uh, for applications like VPNs that that may store credentials offline in a in a file, they may be encrypted. 
these info stealers will often target those things as well. So it is kind of a blanket term uh, because some of these info stealers will also, uh, once they do steal all of this data, they will deploy additional malware. That might be a backdoor, that might be uh, something pre-ransomware, or it may be ransomware directly. So there's there's kind of a, a large, uh, <laughs> there, there's a lot that kind of goes into the, the term info stealer as a, as a classification of malware. I see. Can you tell us a little bit about how this affects healthcare providers? Yeah, so healthcare providers are, in my opinion, pretty unique to to info stealers and and the data that they target because healthcare is subject to a lot of additional regulatory requirements so HIPAA uh, and and the way that that data is protect, protected if uh, if these info stealers do find HIPAA data it it may be lucrative for these these operators and these threat actors. Uh, oftentimes we see that healthcare environments for various operational reasons are a bit more segmented and may not have the the necessary security posture to really defend and detect these types of threats. So even though info stealers are commodity threats and and really affect all verticals, I think the healthcare industry in particular is is sort of unique in that if there is a large amount of of PII or protected health information, Info stealers could really could really cause an organization a, a very substantial impact. So, what are some of the more popular and heavily used info stealers? Are there a lot of different types? That's a sort of a a, a difficult question to answer, just because there are a lot of new info stealers that that appear briefly uh, and and don't last very long, and then sort of disappear and and have a short runtime. Some of the big ones that we do see are Vidar, which is a, a very long-lived one, Azeralt, another very long-lived one. I think Azeralt was first observed in all the way back in 2016, and it is still a, a fairly heavily used info stealer, still very successful. Some of the more recent ones that we've seen, uh, Jupiter, which has sort of branched out and, and gone past the info stealer uh, bubble and is now acting more as a backdoor. Uh, that's a li- become a little bit less popular now, but it is still, we, we do see, still see that on a regular basis. The big ones I would say right now are going to be Redline and Raccoon, both Raccoon version one and Raccoon version two. So those are, those are the big ones. I think for Redline in particular, it has become a very popular, a popular platform for adversaries because it is truly very easy to use and it's not very expensive to deploy so somebody can can pay a couple hundred bucks and have access to this thing stand it up generate a bunch of payloads and then send them out to really anyone and then just wait and see what their success rate is and and continue doing that it's it's very cheap and very easy now what makes one type of stealer more attractive to a bad actor versus a different type it's a lot of it comes down to price and ease of use. So as an example, we've seen a lot of competition between Redline and Raccoon for those reasons. They are very similarly priced, but some users do have issues using one platform or the other. And sometimes these people who, who purchase the 
these info stealers, licenses for these info stealers, they will go back on these underground forums and they will complain about the lack of, of updates or the lack of support that they're getting from from these these malware developers. And uh, yeah, that, that will ultimately drive one uh, one operator to move from, from one platform to another. So it's, um, again, it's uh, some of these are very cheap. Uh, some of these are actually free. So some of the some of the, the threats that we see are just posted to to GitHub and anyone can download them, anyone can deploy them. They they tend to get taken down relatively quickly, but it just kind of shows how how prevalent this is and how easy it is for somebody with little to no skill how they can get into this space and begin generating these these payloads, sending them out and and from their perspective reaping the rewards as as people click on them and, and deploy them in their in, in their environments. So it's really kind of an underground economy kind of thing, huh? Absolutely, yeah. And it's it even goes deeper than that. So when when some someone steals this data off of a system, the the operator may only be looking to make a quick buck. So as I as I said, this often targets cryptocurrency data, you know, cryptocurrency wallets. If if an operator is able to get that Great, they're going to they're going to take that and transfer that out to their own wallet as quickly as possible. Sometimes, you know, in in like a corporate environment, in an enterprise environment, th- there's not going to be any kind of cryptocurrency data most of the time. So that may not be as as lucrative of a compromise to that operator. So what they will do is they will resell that stolen data as a package, which is called a log. Uh, on underground forums, and there are entire entire spaces on on forums that are built out to support this reselling of data, and usually a, a bundle of logs from a system, which would again in- include browser data, password databases if they exist, maybe some files. That's probably going to sell for around ten dollars. Someone may buy that, uh, vet that the access is legitimate and that they can get into an organization, they may realize, hey, this is actually uh, a company that does millions of dollars in business every year. This is a really lucrative target for somebody. They will turn around and resell that access again to to somebody else for you know maybe a couple thousand dollars. And so the, the underground economy for this is quite robust. It does go quite deep. And there are a lot of different vectors for somebody obtaining this data even after the initial adversary uh, obtains it. Exactly how do these stealers work? I'm sure it probably varies depending on what kind of steal you're talking about. Most of the time there's there's two kind of broad categories of of the way these stealers work. One is is sort of a I like to compare it to a a smash and grab style stealer where it has an embedded configuration that includes all of all of what it's going to do, all of the data it's going to target and when somebody mistakenly clicks on it or if uh, an operator actively deploys it onto a system, the stealer is going to run and it's going to to target all of that data in its embedded configuration in one shot. And it will then, once it gets done running, it will zip all of that up or bundle it all up and then send it off to the the operator in, in sort of one go. There's no persistence mechanism. It's not gonna run again. It's just gonna do what it needs to do and then disappear. The other group is a little bit more dynamic. So, and these are the ones that tend to be longer lived. When this begins running on a system, it's going to sit there and it's going to wait and it'll 
connect out to its command and control server that the operator is using. Uh, this is often a, a panel of some type or uh, you know, sometimes a web panel, sometimes a standalone panel. The operator will then uh, be able to interface with it directly in some cases, or as, it, as the, the compromised system checks in, it will receive a configuration from that, that panel, which will instruct the, the info stealer what to steal. So for example, if the operator is not really interested in office files, it wouldn't go after that. Maybe they're interested in one specific application, like a Citrix kind of, uh, kind of client. It, they're going to include some kind of searching parameters for the, the malware to go through the system and try to find any kind of related files to that software application. And then once it gets done with all of that, it will then bundle all of those up and send those off. So those are the kind of, from a very high level, those are the two main types that we, that we see in how they work. Right. So we touched on this a little bit in the other question, but what types of information do they steal? You talked about cryptocurrency, but you know, what would they be getting, say, from a healthcare organization? Yeah, from a healthcare organization, I think that the big things would be any any again, anything that's stored in the browser. So as as we've seen, some healthcare organizations move to kind of thin client setups. Everything eventually moves into these these single applications. If they're web browsers, if they're thin client applications, those are the kinds of things that are really attractive for stealers. And they will just go and, and pull all of that data out. Again, any kind of uh, file transfer clients that exist. So this might be like FTP applications or SSH applications, things like that. Uh, these will target those in, in some instances. Now, I want to I wanna make clear that some of these are, are still not extremely robust and do appear to be very targeted toward home users or individuals. These are typically looking, again, for cryptocurrency data, and you know, Steam credentials. Steam is an online gaming platform. They're, they're not all. All of these stealers are not necessarily going to specifically look for what you might expect in an enterprise. So I, I want to make that clear. What do they do with all this data once they've stolen it? If an operator obtains some of this data, what they can do within the panel. Some of these panels have ways to either search or filter this log data that comes back from compromised systems immediately. So if, for example, if they are looking for healthcare data and they may have a regular expression uh, in, in their panel that would search for social security numbers, or if for a financial organization or retail, a retail organization, it may search for credit card numbers, uh, something like that. This will bubble the, the results from this log data up to the operator so that they have immediate visibility into potentially more lucrative compromised uh, systems. Once that they've gone, once they've gone through the data, they will probably go to resell it because there's very little incentive for an operator to hold on to the data and and do nothing with it. They, their goal in most of these instances is going to be to make as much money as possible as quickly as possible. So they may unload it again for like 10, 15 bucks, depending on the organization, depending on how lucrative the logs might be to somebody. And they'll kind of post it in this clearinghouse way on one of these underground forums. Now, some of these forums, the, the big three that we often see are called Russian Market, Too Easy, and Genesis Market. 
And these forums, uh, they're they're accessible only to registered users. They're, they are underground forums, so they are difficult to monitor and get into. Sometimes you have to be vetted and approved before you have access to, to some of these, these forums. But there's essentially a way that you can filter down the results uh, in some of these. And Russian market in particular has a very robust way of filtering log data so that these adversaries can look for specific types of systems that they may be interested in. So for example, if I'm an adversary, I may go on a Russian market and filter only down to Windows 10 enterprise operating systems. That's probably going to be a corporate environment rather than an individual home user. So if I'm interested in corporate data, that may be a more lucrative target. Now again, what the adversary does after those logs are posted is kind of up in the air. Uh, it it they may just sit there. They may not sell. You know, somebody else may buy them and decide. Well, this isn't really, this isn't really going to do anything with me. So they may not do anything with it. Someone else may may buy the may buy the logs, access the the compromised environment, and say, hey, I'm going to resell this. And there is a process where. Uh, these these individuals they're called initial access brokers. They can make posts and uh, essentially auction the data off. So oftentimes we'll see these this data auctioned for a starting price of like five thousand dollars, and then if it doesn't sell within twenty four hours, they'll reduce it down to four thousand, reduce it down to three thousand another day later, and eventually someone someone may buy it and then access the environment, deploy ransomware, and we kind of all know how that story goes. So the, the pathway that this data takes is, it really depends on what the operator is looking for. On the other hand, there are some markets that make it extremely easy to use this data. Genesis market in particular comes to mind. They actually have a browser plugin and a, a, a browser that has this plugin integrated with it, where if you buy a package of logs, you can essentially click a button and it will open this browser with this plugin and immediately let you impersonate whatever whatever the user is based on the log data. So for example, if, if I buy a package of logs that contains cookies from Microsoft Online, and I open it in this, in this browser, this integrated browser called Genesium Browser, I will effectively have the online persona of whoever's, whatever machine was in this log because I'm now using these cookies. So as long as these cookies are still good for, for Microsoft Online or for whatever website it is, I now am able to inter interface with that website and, and take actions as that user. So it is a little bit scary how easy it is to use in some cases. So do these threat actors who use info stealers do they also target individuals as well as businesses? These info stealers are what we call a commodity threat. Adversaries can use these in, in a targeted manner, and they can tailor their, their lures, their phishing messages, however they're going to deploy or attempt to deploy this, this malware into an environment to that organization. But more often, we see a commodity malware like this, including info stealers, being sent out via spam messages. These are kind of broad campaigns targeted to a larger geographic group or um, not necessarily explicitly for a single organization, if that makes sense. It's, um, it's more of a dragnet approach where they kind of 
um, spray it out and, and send it to whoever they can and hope that they get back a, a whole bunch of people who, who fall for the lure and, and open it up. So um, why are info stealers a growing threat to businesses and other organizations? Simply because what we've seen is, is that we're moving away from a little bit from these, these sort of long-lived backdoors for initial access. And we're seeing a lot more of these info stealers pop up where uh, the, the, the lore, the initial access is actually provided from these info stealers. That is the first malware that gets deployed on a system. We're seeing more traditional types of backdoors and downloaders being deployed by info stealers after the fact for additional follow-on actions. Again, this ties back to something I mentioned earlier where this access can, can potentially be resold multiple times. So the logs that are stolen can be resold and those can provide access. The uh, info stealer itself, once it does its, its sort of smash and grab operation and steals all of the data that it's targeting, it can then deploy additional malware, which somebody is, is probably paying them to do. So there's there's sort of a, a lot of paths that can lead back to these info stealers. And again, how easy it is to use this data immediately or, or to quickly verify that, hey, these, these stolen credentials are good, the stolen payment card data is good, uh, it can be used immediately, it can, uh, it, it can really just, uh, just go very, very quickly in a matter of, in a matter of minutes and, and be in use. Sure seems that way now. John, what can businesses do to protect themselves from all of this? Yeah, that's sort of the million-dollar question. Uh, so I, I think that the the biggest thing that businesses can do is to make sure that multi-factor authentication is in place. Uh, for for a lot of these things, credentials can can only be used uh, if it's if it's single factor. So if you have a cookie value, something like that, there are additional. Uh, additional workarounds for, for things like that to force force the, the user to re-log in. For example, if it's coming from a dramatically different geographical location or something like that, um, I would say multi-factor authentication is, is the biggest thing because that is going to be a secondary credential that is probably going to be offline, not on the same system that this info stealer ran on, that the user has and will prevent an adversary from immediately using these credentials in some of these cases. So that would be number one. I personally am a, a very big advocate of security training. And I know a lot of people don't like to talk about security training. It's very, it's a very dry topic. A lot of users hate it. It's, it's so boring. They hate when, when that time of year comes around, but really that is, is the core of, of where we need to focus uh, on, on, on protecting our environments, the weakest link will always be the user. And no matter what, if we if we make the users more aware, even if a user does does make a mistake and is not 100% effective, that's okay. The only thing that we can do is is improve our users' knowledge of these threats, improve their ability to recognize them, you know, and and make foster an environment where it's okay to question the legitimacy of, of an email or to question something weird going on, on, on their system. So those would be the two biggest things I would, I would say. It's knowledge really is power as far as cybersecurity goes. Absolutely. Now, John, if our listeners want to get in touch with you to learn more, where can they go? 
I would refer you to our, our public website, secureworks.com. Uh, we have a lot of different ways to get in touch with us uh, for whatever whatever you're interested in doing. Uh, for immediate incident response, even, you can reach out to some of our incident responders very quickly. Uh, but yeah, I would say our, our, our public website would probably be the best way. Great. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us today and for all of your insights. And a special thanks to SecureWorks for sponsoring this podcast. Have a fantastic rest of your day.